Huh? In Arabic. You can definitely give us some Arabic um, yeah, words and very phrases. Important. And she means I love my husband. Leave the room Okay. One second, let me just click this on. Um, just so I have it. Okay. okay. Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. So, so today, today I've got, got a very special, special guest. guest. Um, some, some of you know, know I have a podcast, podcast called Lunch with, with Auntie. auntie. Now, now for once I have, I have my actual auntie on and I know she doesn't look like it because she looks probably younger than me. Um, and and everyone always asks me how I have such a beautiful aunt, but this is my aunt Sihan. And one of the main reasons we're here to talk about today is about Yemen, which is where she's from. Um, which is where, where Auntie Seaham's from, and she grew up, and now she lives in Ireland. And so thank you so much for being on today. Thank you very much for hosting me, Hannah. And what an, like, a very nice introduction. I'm really glad also to be part of your family and to be your aunt. I'm really proud of you. Well done. Thanks, Auntie Seaham. Um, and I don't know if I told even Auntie Seaham this story, but for a really long time, I wanted to be an engineer, not because my dad and his brother is an engineer, but because um, my amazing aunt was an engineer and a visionary for engineering. And it was so cool to have a female engineer as an aunt. Um, even though like it didn't work out very well for me because I don't like maths and I don't like physics. So, you know, kind of important things for engineering. But you were a really cool story to have about loving, you know, wanting to venture more into STEM and maths and physics and all that kind of stuff. Because if you don't know, Auntie Seaham is an amazing engineer. Thank you very much. That's, that's too much. Like, I don't think it's, it's that hard as well. But um, engineering is an interesting field, yeah? Yeah. And, um, so you might have, like, after finish your other college, have a second degree as engineering. <laughs> Not too late. Never too late. <laughs> Never too late. I love that. Um, okay, so just on to the stuff about Yemen and what we're talking about today. Uh, one of the reasons I want to do this now is because Yemen has recently got a lot of press. It's been all over the news. Um, it's been, and I'm sure you've seen it yourself. And, but the whole, the crisis, oh, the dogs, <laughs> the crisis in Yemen is not a recent thing. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experiences growing up there and, you know, the long-term issues that have been going on in Yemen for a while. Definitely. And it's definitely a long-term issue. And I think, you know, you obviously got a lot of exposure to it because you were an engineer for the Red Cross. That's right. And before, in my uh, latest uh, experience of uh, working with uh, the International Committee of Red Cross, yeah. so we have to be really close in the front line to provide water and shelter to people to, to stay. So that was like really, really dangerous. Like I remember once I wanted to go to work and uh, there is like a military uh, place just be, like beside my, my house. Mm -hmm. And I was just five minutes late for the transportation. And then the bus I was taking was attacked by mortar. And it was like killed seven people, just five minutes. So you are like always facing that um, really, really severely like a uh, problem there. That story is incredible because it's almost living in constant danger that I think a lot of people, yeah. you know, don't experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And even with this whole pandemic, we don't really understand what it's like living in almost this fear, you know? That's, that's right, yeah. 
So I just want to talk a little bit about growing up in Yemen because, you know, you talked about that you've been there, you've been through four wars, which I just don't know how, how you stay so positive because I can tell you that even in this pandemic thing, it's already been difficult to stay positive, but you just managed to do it with an absolute smile all the time. And so what was it like growing up in a country that is so notoriously on the news? And growing up in Yemen, it's actually for a girl, it's a way different than if it is for a boy. So like for a girl to grow up in Yemen, the family will prepare you to be a bride, you know, a future bride. Mm-hmm. So all the book is for them, how to behave, how you know, to, to mix with other boys, uh, other, other like it's all like a contamination thing. Like you have to be a, like a really pure, innocent girl not experience any any kind of i don't know like like for example um i wasn't allowed to uh, cycle okay um because cycle will need to take a bicycle and going outside and then i don't know mix with other boys and things like that yeah and maybe also to fail off the, and then damage your face or something and that's worth something <laughs> um uh you can't swim as well anything with a mixed activity with boys that's banned so you can yeah. uh, that's good but for, for how how like I was lucky in a way for the education as well because lots of my friends didn't continue their education because either they will get married really early so like marriage will be I know friends like they married like at the age of 12 and 14 15 17 so with this early age so they can't really continue um, studying uh, and also because college is a mixed and lots of families they will not allow to send their uh, daughters to go there. I can't even imagine because it's. I, I, I think that's why it's been so insightful to talk to you and really have you in the family. And that's why I really wanted to do this as well because for me, it's so insightful because I can't even imagine going, going through an experience like that. Um, and, you know, you went through that. And even just hearing that, you know, you had people in the 21st century getting married at 12 years old. It just... All arranged yeah. Arranged marriages. Um, if we're being completely honest, I didn't even have my period at 12 years old, let alone... Like, I didn't... I didn't... I hadn't gone through puberty. I hadn't, you know... I, I, I didn't know, like, anything at 12 years old. So I just can't imagine someone getting married at that age. Um, especially, like, forget consent because it's all arranged, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I also just want to talk a little bit about what also has been on the news. I find the women's rights issues really interesting as well. But with the whole, there's been a history of kind of almost Western countries or predominantly white countries interfering in conflicts that have really originated in the Middle East. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. And if it is like about opinion about the Western and the American uh, in general, um, I really, really feel positive about um, Western or the, the culture itself because that's something we missed in Yemen. Yeah. And uh, like in a place like Yemen without, or just we say like a little bit to be fair that we can drive, you know, it's allowed to drive and it's allowed also to vote. That's something else. But with a little bit rights for women, I really um, admire like the living in Europe or in, in, in America with this all open-minded people have a kind of like equality between like the rights between men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something like we don't have. And I wish if there is a mix between the Eastern and Western together to share that um, lovely culture together and to have like one union, uh, like a good culture and good impact in, in women. Yes. So that's, that's my yeah. opinion, like really positive toward it. Like. Yeah. You say Ireland in such an Irish way. <laughs> You're getting the answer. <laughs> I know, yeah. It has been three years now. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it, it's a good thing, I think. Um, no, I just, like, I, com I completely agree. I think there's a lot of things that we take for granted, especially as, you know, young women, that, you know, I'm starting to learn to drive. God help everyone in the, on the roads in Singapore. But to me, it didn't even cross my mind that that'd be something excluded to me in, because of my gender. Um, so I think that, you know, it's really, it's really insightful, but onto kind of one of the topics that we're talking about today, how has this virus and COVID and the pandemic really impacted Yemen from what you know? To be honest, it's one, like it's one thing in Yemen, like toward the bigger of uh, problems in Yemen, the healthcare is not there. Yeah. So a bigger issues, but. COVID-19 lately disparate in Yemen, separated in really, really scary way with no awareness of the, the disease, with no medication, uh, lack of medication, lack of care, health care there. Uh, so in one day, uh, I heard seven of my friends died. I'm so just sorry. Seven of them, like I was just browsing in my Facebook. And then I found this, I couldn't believe because they are in their early 30s. And uh, like from our neighbors as well. So it was really spread in really, and people, when you ask, will say, oh, we don't know. It was like coughing um, uh, and it was like a fever and then they couldn't breathe and they died. They take it not seriously. But at the same time, uh, I will say like really recently now, um, it's become more aware, like more aware about like the hygiene things. So yeah. I, I just like, yeah, I just like um, talking to my mom and it's like, oh, did you wash your hands? Did you put it? Oh yeah, I did now. Oh yeah, I have it. I will not leave the house. So there is now awareness, but uh, up to three months, it wasn't. Yeah. And also there is lots of other disease, you know, the summertime, there's like lots of mosquitoes. And in Yemen, we have uh, dengue fever. We have the typhoid malaria as well. It's all transmitted by by um, mosquito so that's adding on the COVID-19 so uh, yeah it's it's a bit like sad but I hopefully think, hopefully will be better yeah I think it's that there are really long-term issues in like you mentioned right the first question and exactly, now, yeah. and and now you know there's this massive disease going around and economies are shutting down because of it and everything like that and we and I think we, I take it for granted here, I took it for granted in the UK, that I had a healthcare system that worked, that You're I right, knew yeah. that, you know, the preventable deaths were prevented as much as possible. Um, whereas I think that, you know, the reason why I think Yemen needs a lot of support right now is because it doesn't have that healthcare system that the rest of the world, like a lot of the Western countries. Um, and I don't want to say the rest of the world because there are a lot of countries who are particularly struggling with this. Um, but I mean, the Western countries have. 
That's right. Okay, so this is a bit more on the light side because I just love your answer for that last one. But what was your biggest shock in moving to Ireland? So you moved from this super conservative, like, uh, Middle Eastern country <laughs> to, like, Ireland. <laughs> what was the biggest thing? To be honest, I, I know, I know. To be honest, I was kind of, like, prepared for it. Uh, when I was working with the, with the Red Cross, there's lots of different nationalities coming in. Different, like... I don't know, like different from from Africa, from Asia, from from America, from everywhere. They were there. So you see, like from Europe, like majorly, like from Ireland as well. Like one of them, <laughs> one of my a, husband, a particularly special one. <laughs> exactly. You kind of share the 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 culture. So I remember, like first time, I was still asking about um, like like some things, and the answer I I will get, like I would be, do they do they have this? Do, do they do they have the education? Do they? I was like really surprised how, like it's like different. But all what they were told me it was different than first time I took a, like a plane, and it was first time I arrived to Spain. Actually, my first place I visited was Spain, 2014. I never traveled all my life because I wasn't allowed. Exactly, but after I was working and they somehow the family will be accepting that you're strong enough. So you can yes. yourself. So I was having that culture shock. I was looking, everything is different. People, women, there is no hijab, there is no and no one even looking at them or do something like to bother them or something. Uh I don't know the transportation, everything was like really kids. I saw like when I compare, compare like kids, how they are like really yeah. playing in the playground, like ground, cycling, swimming. So everything was totally different. And then when I moved to Ireland, I was like really shocked because it was like everything is different. Work-wise, um, everything, like the, the place I'm living in, around it, everything. You guys. <laughs> we can go cycle class. In a good way. <laughs> the gym. In a good the gym. way. The gym. The gym, exactly. The Everything. Gym. I, was, I didn't know how the gym is look like. <laughs> and now, and now you're a complete like gym buddy. You can do it like three hours. I Auntie Sam is like the fittest person I know. We we did like we did like a workout class, and I was like forty five minutes. I completely died, and you just you can you can just go like nonstop, which is just so incredible. Because I um, never had it before. I still have the energy to go ahead. <laughs> Um, I love that. And you mentioned a little bit working for the Red Cross. Can you talk a little bit about that? So you're an engineer with the Red Cross in Yemen. And could you talk a little bit about that? Um, I joined actually Red Cross uh, in the age of 25. And uh, I stayed like for five years there. So basically my work was to support water facility to get to the houses and uh, the sanitation as well. And part of it also, at the beginning, wasn't as bad uh, as the war when it starts, because I started with the Red Cross 2012, and it wasn't as bad. Um, but that, after that, in 2015, we were involved in uh, bringing shelters and uh, like uh, using sometimes schools to, uh, for the refugees to stay there. Actually, the refugees is actually the wrong term to use it in in um, 
in uh, ICRC because you call them IDBs, it's the internal displaced people because they are not brought from different uh, places, they are all within the same place. So like domestic uh, refugees? Quite challenging. It was really like quite challenging because uh, you don't guarantee your life. You leave your house, you are not sure you are coming back. And that's every day. You wanted as bad as, like you wanted like to help these people. You know, lots of people, lots of needs. You cannot like give people to everybody, like give the help to everybody because it's really hard with the population of Yemen. I was working in, in a city called Taiz. The population for the whole city was 4 million. That's, that's, that's island. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? That's the size of Ireland, exactly. With a few sources in your hand, you have to start like prioritize your work, you know, in yeah. the area. You have to do this. You have to say to people, not now, this is more, you need this. That decision was really, like that is kind of working under pressure all the time. Under pressure. Sure. Alert all the time because you were also only working with really limited resources and exactly. you have to also decide do i do we put in this long-term project that's going to take a long time to re reap the benefits yes. when you see people struggling every single day when you see the danger every single day that's right like one of the things uh, happened was the area i was working in next day was besieged all armed people around us we can't really leave and then the other area, they, like inside, I think 200, 250,000 people was all besieged. They don't have water, no drink of water. So that was like really challenging because we wanted to, to fetch water for them. Yeah. But we can't also leave. So I managed somehow also to have like uh, suppliers from inside the, the town. And yeah. there is like wells, you know, the wells, the deep wells is less contamination. Yeah. So water from there. And then we just have like, it was more than, I don't know, like lots of, of um, like we have like a plastic tank, you know, the tank, the cylinder tank, yeah. like a plastic tank, and you have to put water uh, on it. And then you have to have this, uh, like a point for people to, uh, to fill. So you find like children having like bottles, donkeys, whatever, like they have, like holding like all that water just for the houses. So that was like really great moment like yeah. to these people. So for you will sure. forget that, no. you are in a war and this, you will really forget that, you that see that. Incredible that you did that. Like that's just, oh, every time I talk to you, it just makes me like more and more proud to be your like niece. And so this is kind of like the last question because I don't want this to go on forever. And I could do a whole 10 part series on how amazing your life is and how amazing you are. But um, from the outside view, and I want to, Stop this whole almost kind of white savior element of it and you know the western countries have to bail out um middle eastern or asian countries but what can we do to help what can people who are listening to this um people on instagram i know it's great reposting and stuff like that but what can we actively do to help to be honest posting is really really good that people when they are aware of the problem uh, people will will be standing with you, praying for you. Yeah. And that's the, 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 I don't know, it's like the mental, emotional support is, is really important. And also, like, you see, like I was working with, with Red Cross and I know 
how donation is so important. Yeah. So where would you so, recommend that we donate to? Because I understand be honest, that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of charities out there, and you really want to make sure you're if you're donating money, you're donating to somewhere that's really going to help the people on the ground more so than I don't know, like yeah, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, and it is actually tricky because like I know in 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 Red Cross uh, ICRC is like donation to ICRC is very good. UNICEF, I'll link that down below. Yeah, UNICEF actually, <laughs> UNICEF actually, they do a great job in, in Yemen as well. Okay. Uh, MSF, uh, what do you call it in uh, French? It's, um, it's uh, what do you call it, the MSF? It's Doctors Without uh, Borders. Without Borders. Yeah, yeah. This so important right now, especially with the whole virus. Exactly. Going on. And I know, I know, actually, my aunt in Yemen was having a, a problem and they did help her. Okay. Yeah, or she was one of the areas like she was really in Visage area and they did help her. With it's the so nice to actually hear that like, you know, like when people make those small donations, even from afar, that people are actually being helped, which I think is just so important. Exactly, to know. And how exactly like really big impact in the famine, in, in the education, in everything. It is actually helping. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's so important. And one of the long-term issues I'd love to discuss the next time, part two, part three, whatever the business is, is education in Yemen. But I think right now, I think the focus for this and this whole talk was really to understand the impact that coronavirus is having on Yemen right now because it didn't have the yeah. healthcare systems set up. Countries with fully functioning healthcare systems are struggling like hell to get out of this pandemic. Can you imagine, like, it's difficult for us to imagine, like, countries that don't have this infrastructure and don't have this healthcare system, what they're doing. And I think, thank you for sharing the story about your friends, because for us, I think it's really easy to just go, oh, I'm not at risk. I'm 18. I'm kind of healthy. You know, you're 30, 28. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how old you want me to say you are. <laughs> um, and... Um, and But it's very easy for us to say we're not at risk. This isn't a problem. Um, but I think it's important to know that in Yemen, it's not only the people who are 80-year-old plus who are dying. There are people who are in their 20s and 30s who are dying, children even, right. from the famine that's being that's getting worse because of this, as well as the actual disease itself. Because, you know, I think it's really easy to just go, oh, but if they're 85 plus, they're at risk healthcare systems don't matter but they matter because there are preventable deaths and people are dying because of them so that's sorry that's my spiel on it i really agree with you 100 percent. so and i really thank you for your time and for sharing this it's like there is a lot of me. things inside me still <laughs> thank you okay we are definitely going to do a part two and a part three of this but today i think we really just talked about you, healthcare in yemen Thank you so much. And if you want to find out more about anything we talked about, I'm going to add all the links to the charities that we mentioned, as well as some like reading material, which I might also get my uncle ask him for the best reading material on that um, to find out more about what's going on in Yemen, because I just feel like people need to know about it because that's step one, right? That's really sweet. That's, that's really so, thank you so much. That's what we need people to know more about Yemen. Yeah, just people to know more about what's going on.